0: and welcome to the 109th episode of the Not Your Mama's Gamer podcast. A podcast where we talk about games and gaming from a feminist perspective. My name is Samantha Blackman and I'm an associate professor here at Purdue University in the wonderful West Lafayette, Indiana. And I just realized I sound very nasal. Excuse me in advance, I got a little cold. Um, and uh, tonight we have all kinds of special surprises. Uh, we are joined by Adrian Shaw.
1: Hello. Uh, author of
0: Gaming on the Edge. Hi, yeah. uh, and she's gonna have a nice conversation with us tonight. And we're we also got a couple of new people um, that you have seen and heard, seen and or heard before, who are joining us tonight. Um, but we'll talk about that in a minute because you know they fall to the back burner for a little bit. We love you still. Um, so we'll be polite and we'll do our usual of trying to remember to ask our guests to go first. Um, so we can do a couple of quick introductions. Adrian, what would you like to tell us about yourself? Who are you?
2: Who am I? Oh, we could be here all night. No. Um, I am an assistant professor at Temple University in the Department of Media Studies and Productions and a Media and Communications PhD faculty member. Um, I study games, gamer culture. Um, I do most of my research is on gender and sexuality and its intersections with class and race. Um, as well as nationality in some of my studies. Um, I also have been working for the past four years, finally wrapping up a four-year study of educational game uh, design, using a game to train people about cognitive biases. Very much a quantitative side to my more qualitative work. Um, And I've been, for the past... I uh, since January building a digital archive of LGBTQ game content dating back to the eighties. Um, I can talk about that a little bit later. It is what I've spent the last two straight weeks um entirely investing myself in, so if I sound a little dazed, that is why. <laughs> 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 I spend the that day trying really to figure out I spend the day trying to figure out metal gear solid uh plot lines, so I need a <laughs> You parody. can usually
3: spend more than a day on that shit. Yeah, no kidding.
0: I'm yes. reading a book about Metal Good Solid, but I'll talk about that when we talk about what you're reading. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so, uh, we'll jump and we'll go, how about we go with our new people first? Let's do it. Uh, we're also joined tonight by Kashana Gray. Yay! Yeah. Hello, Kishana. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Who are you? I am Kishana Gray, assistant professor in the School of Justice Studies at Eastern Kentucky University. Um, I do research on Xbox Live um, identity performance and virtual communities. Um, yeah, that's me.
3: You forgot to say you're fucking awesome.
0: <laughs> See, I needed you to do the chime that in for me.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I started you by the to, to be in humble.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, and another new voice, at least in terms of audio, but who's been around for a while now, Bianca.
4: Yeah, that's me. Who yeah. are you? First time podcaster, long time something, I guess. <laughs> 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 Whatever, fill in the blank, I guess. Uh, my name's Bianca Batty. I am a PhD candidate at Purdue in the uh, 20th and 21st century literature Uh, area. But uh, my sort of specialization and what I'm really passionate about is looking at uh, video games as a form of contemporary narrative um, and thinking about how our narratives evolve and what they say about us as a result. And specifically by doing so, I like to look at them through a feminist lens, Um, think about, you know, the intersection of race and gender and sexuality and all that fun stuff and, and how that manifests in games and, and what that says about our cultural and social situations. So that's that's my, my jam. <laughs> <laughs> my work of taping
0: the pool in the English department is complete. Yes. I'm trying
4: to spread it.
0: All right. And then we'll just jump and go left to right.
3: Alicia, darling, who are you? Um, I am... Always grateful to be in the company of such amazingly brilliant women. That's who I am.
4: You're here. Uh,
3: no, really, real talk. Um, I am now a PhD student in ret comp at Purdue. Yay. Yay. Today I introduced myself to my new cohort as someone who had oozed over from creative writing. And I'm <laughs> going to stick with that one. I just caught it kind of oozed. I slid in somehow <laughs> through the back door. I was like, wait, y'all do this cool shit? I'm going to go do that. Because that seems awesome. Um, I don't know yet what I'm going to study. I'm being restricted from studying all the things, so eventually I'll have to pick some things. Mostly it's going to be games. (laughs) That's me. Also, I do everything else that Sam tells me
5: to do.
0: (laughs) That's a general rule.
5: I don't do anything Sam tells me to do. You're in trouble, Missy.
1: (laughs)
0: <laughs> and so, since you don't never do
5: anything I tell you to do, who are
0: you, Charlotte Hyde?
5: <laughs> well, I'm Charlotte
0: Hyde, obviously.
5: <laughs> um, who am I? I'm a, a PhD candidate in uh, rec comp. I specialize in tech comp, but for the uh, purposes of this this podcasting, I'm the resident Lego scholar. So I in love living You sound very Texan tonight. Do I? <laughs> hmm. That's okay. I feel like I've been insulted or something. I don't don't know.
3: let Sam make you feel ashamed. Do you think
0: Texan is an insult? No. Your accent is just heavy
5: tonight. It's probably I can make it heavier. Oh, who? It's probably because I'm tired. I was, gonna say, that probably was a, like a threat. Tired. I can make it heavier. <laughs> I can't make it heavier. I don't even know I'm doing it. So. I'm probably tired. We're doing all the orientations this week, and we had to you know, hide from all the freshmen doing gold Boiler Gold Rush. And, oh, my word. Let's not talk God. about them. <laughs> my last one. Last one. Ha-ha. <laughs> We're going to do it somewhere else. But it won't be Boiler Gold Rush. <laughs> there won't be random clapping. They're not even standing in the right place. <laughs> Wait, I feel like we need to give that one some context.
3: Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, what the, like-
5: the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> we have this circle, and if you stand in the middle of a circle and you clap, you hear weird noises or whatever. It, it's like... It's the courtyard between the
3: union and our shitty building. Why it's there, I don't know. Because we do have the <laughs> shittiest building on campus. It's like an echo chamber. Right. It's really. Yeah. It's actually really cool. It's but, really cool, but all day they're they're just clapping and random. Yes. Stars. All day they're like, they're, like standing be- around going. And they're listening, yeah. <laughs> like their hair has been really cool, but they're hearing nothing. Like, you're they're doing like, it wrong. <laughs> oh, my God.
0: <laughs> they're freshmen. Leave them
5: alone. No. <laughs> I've just never seen it. Usually the people that guide them, to, guide them to the right spot. But today it was just like all over the place. I was like, oh, all right. So, all right, whatever.
0: Whatever. All right. Well, now we know who's here. We'll do our usual what you're playing, what you're reading, what you're drinking, which is always the fun part. <clears throat> All those three, not just the drinking part. <laughs> okay. Um, and so we'll start with the, what you're playing. Uh, Adrian, as our guest, would you like to tell us first what you're playing?
2: Sure. Um, I'm always pretty much incessantly playing Angry Birds Space, in large <laughs> part because every time the OS on my phone updates, it wipes out all my old scores, so I have to start over. Oh, it's um, like a so challenge, I'm playing right? it over and over again. Every time I get a new phone, I have to start from scratch. Um I've been, thanks to a friend bullying me into it, I've been playing Ingress, um, which is the evil Google geomapping game that I feel really guilty about playing, but it gets me out of the house. Um, And I'm on sabbatical this semester, so I really need things to get me out of the house. Um, And since summer's coming to an end, I haven't been playing much console games lately, just because I'm trying to actually get work done. Um, but I spent the first half of my summer binge playing because I hadn't played since last summer, because we got less of a break in between semesters. So I sort of played through like all of the middle smaller Assassin's Creed games and Beyond Two Souls. Like the first half of summer, I just blew through all of those. Oh my gosh, um, isn't
3: Beyond such a great game?
2: It is, but then it ends really fast, and I was like, I'm not done (laughs) yet. Wait, wait,
3: wait, 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 back up.
2: What did you say, Alicia?
3: Beyond, it's an amazing game. Cause you didn't used to like it. No, 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 was it's, like it's The Last of Us. And I will fight yeah.
5: the When we played that when we played good. it when we played it at the at the twenty four hour thing, you were mad. No, yeah, you didn't like it, I remember. Bullshit. <laughs> Bullshit I remember.
3: I didn't like try having to pump the well and like jerk off the controller because that's
5: <laughs> I thought it was a great game. It's a great game. Greatness. I will fight a bitch. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> I just you know... <laughs> No. I heard a contradiction.
2: So. <laughs> I was <will> saying <laughs> that when I was playing that game I was really pissed off at it and then after I was done I was like I really liked that game. But mm. I think there's, it I think it produces contradictory feelings.
3: There's a lot of stuff that you don't really know about when you're going through it and then you mm. can find out about it or you read about it or you think about it and it yeah, yeah. it can definitely change your feelings okay. I have a lot of feelings,
5: a lot of feelings.
3: <laughs> okay. <laughs>
0: Okay. Alright. Um, so I'll go left to right again on my screen. Bianca, what you been playing, darling?
4: Um, I just finished Everybody's Gone to the Rapture. Um oh. which is really pretty, but I don't know how I feel about the end of it. Like I feel like they could have teased out some of the characters. like I wanted to know a little bit more about certain characters. No spoilers. Um and uh but uh it was uh, it was it's a really interesting I don't know it's really making me think about like how a narrative can play out in the game and uh, like this sort of like fragment fragmented storylines and like really sort of abstract ways of telling stories um and how a certain setting can tell us a story as well so so it's getting me thinking about a lot of those kinds of things um, and also like the way a post-apocalyptic narrative can function as well. Um, so, uh, def- I mean, it's fascinating. Like I'm probably going to go back and play it again like immediately. Um, and uh, I also started playing Beyond Eyes on Xbox. Um, I just started that one and I also don't really know how I'm feeling about it yet either. Um uh, I feel like I need to do a little bit more research on, like, disability studies, and I don't necessarily know that I can speak to that. Um, but um, I think that it's it's an interesting sort of way of thinking about sort of disability. Um, but the controls of the game are also really frustrating, I'm finding sometimes. So, um, but that one's getting me thinking a lot about what kinds of, characters can be represented too. So that one's been a lot of a thought process going on. My poor sister is having to deal with me texting her all the time about these <laughs> things. And she's like, Bianca, I don't really play games, but like, I'm glad you feel like you can talk to me about them. So like, keep it coming. So, um, so thanks, Tina. Shout yeah. out to my sister. Um, and then I've also been playing the Magic Circle, which is, like, another weird meta narrative. I feel like I'm playing all these games that are doing different interesting things, um, and, like, in a lot of different ways, so, but that one's, like, an interesting way of thinking about how we can, like, make a game that's about developing games. Um, so that's a little twisty-turny mind fuck there for me, um, but, uh, so, yeah, I don't know. Uh, that one's, like, especially coming from, like, a 20th, 21st century literature kind of standpoint. Um, that one's, like, been interesting, thinking about, like, postmodernism and meta narrative and parody and satire and all of that. Um, and how a game can kind of incorporate all of those different techniques as well. So, yeah. Um, so that's me rambling on about all of that, but that's pretty much what I've, <laughs> what I've been playing lately and um, thinking about. <laughs> so yeah, the end. Sounds,
3: sounds awesome. Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay, Kashana, what have you been playing? Well, I finally have a Wii U, so <laughs> binging on the Wii U. Um, we have, of course we had to do the classics, Mario Kart. Uh, I'm like awful. Like I used to be good at this. My apologies Still, I'm trying to figure out where all my notifications are. Um, but we, I started out with Mario Kart. Awful. Smash Brothers. Awful. Um, and then we also have like that. The um, I can't remember what what the um name of it was. The um the remix. Um, NES remix. Yeah. All the old school games. So we've been doing like the little challenges so we can get. We we want to open up uh, Punch Out. You know, little Mikey, you know, Mike Tyson's punch-outs. So
5: yes, awesome. I loved that game when I was young. Right? What? Oh, <laughs> my gosh.
3: I know. My son plays that on his 3DS, and he told me very seriously, he's like, Mom, I said, what, baby? He said, I love Donkey Kong. <laughs> 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 he's like, I want I want just that game. It's like, baby, you were born a little bit late. <laughs> It's life. <laughs> and it just takes me back, you know. It gives me some,
0: such this this good, feel-good feeling. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, I really, really feel real good about, um, about everything. I love it. That's all I'm playing, though, just the Wii U. I haven't played PlayStation. I haven't played Xbox. And y'all know I don't do much like computer gaming. Um, It's all console. I'm console chick. Oh, I like that. Hashtag console chick. I'm, I like
1: that.
0: <laughs> I wonder if that has trended before. Let's start. <laughs> um, but that's all I'm playing. And mostly, you know, getting ready for the semester. So I, wasn't, I haven't been able to play that much. But I, I can get Wii U because those are simple games you know, right to the point where they don't last forever. Like, I remember we were playing um, Battlefield earlier, I feel like, you know, the matches last, like, 30 minutes. I'm like, it's just way too long. It's way too long. So, that's what I'm playing.
1: Alright.
0: Alicia, what you playing, darling?
3: Well, um, I had a kind of a, a very eclectic mix this week. I played the, uh, the first episode of the Telltale's Game of Thrones. And I downloaded <laughs> it a long time ago because it was free like on my Kindle and I played it while I was in the airport this week. Well, I played about half of it because the shit was bad, you guys. It was <laughs> um I just I just closed the Kindle after a while, I was like, fuck no uh, I have better things to do with my life in this airport. That's sad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so then I went and played through Depression Quest, and I had fiddled with it a little bit before, but I never really played it. Uh, and I actually really enjoyed it. It made me think, Bianca, this is something you'd probably be interested in too. It's about on my to how...
4: What? It's on my to-do list actually. So I'm really interested to see what you have to say about it.
3: Well, I'm just interested in the way you can take what's essentially a story, just like a short story, and break it up. And insert a few points of like interaction. Okay, I could make this choice or this choice and how it affects you. But the story itself, the journey is essentially the same. Mm -hmm. Uh, Coming from, you know, creative writing background, that was really fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, like the no brain spectrum, I've been playing Agario on my phone and that doesn't take very long. You just play this little blob and you eat other blobs or other blobs eat you and then it's game over. Uh, it's very brainless, but it's super fun. Sam is, she doesn't think it's fun, but she doesn't like anything that's good. I mean, Ashgar better her beer tastes. Uh, <laughs> right continually on. playing yeah. Don't Starve Don't, and Don't Starve Together. I wrote about that this week. And uh,
5: episode four of Life is Strange, finally. Mm. A lot of feelings there. Charlotte. Oh. Charlotte. Well, I'll get on it. I'll get Charlotte. on it. I'll get on mm-hmm. it after I finish moving on Saturday. Saturday's oh. the last day. So. Damn. I will come and move your shit myself. I won't
3: have meetings all day tomorrow. With I think your husband's
5: actually doing it anyway. Oh,
3: okay. <laughs> that's good.
5: He does things. <laughs> but that's it. That's me. All right. Charlotte, what you playing? <sighs> finally. Finally, Legos. <laughs> um, I, was, I was on a self-imposed band for about a month and a half while I disassembled everything to move. And I was going crazy. So I decided, I don't know why, but I decided when when I... Finally could play with Lego again that I was going to build the biggest set I had, which is the Tower Bridge that I've been holding onto for a year because it's so big I don't have anywhere to put it, or I didn't have anywhere to put it. So it's 4,295 pieces. That's a lot of fucking pieces. (laughs) It is not labeled. So typically if you have, like, one of the modular buildings, the bigger buildings, they'll break it up into, like, bag one, bag two, bag three. yeah. This is four thousand two hundred and ninety-five pieces of no bag one, bag two, or three. Oh, good God! Yeah. So it is the most intimidating build I have ever done, That's and what I mean, it's 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 fine. Uh, <laughs> I'm almost done now, but um, I, I, I enjoyed it. I went back into it after two months. At any rate, I am building Lego again. Yay. Happy,
0: happy. No, I need the bags. That gives us stopping points. Otherwise, my kid will try to stay up all night.
5: We're like, we still got three oh, thousand pieces to go. What do you we mean? Gotta, you gotta we got to stop. we got to finish. <laughs> well, and this one should have. Actually, I think this one really should have had bags because what happens is, um, and, and I read this before I built it. Sorry I already knew this was going to happen, so I didn't do it this way. But it's the, it's the London Tower Bridge. So there's basically two towers that are identical, huge and identical. And the way the instructions are written, it's you go through and you build one tower and you get to page like 84 and then it tells you to start over. So <laughs> it would have been fun if they'd have put it in two different bags because it could have been a, like a team build, you know? Yeah. And they just didn't do it that way and I'm not exactly sure why because I think this would be really fun for two people to build together with that. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> It happens, right? Okay, so
0: yeah, that's really, really it's my awesome. Yep. Yeah. Um I've been playing a lot of episodic stuff and then I um, something else I'll get to in a So um <laughs> I played King's Quest episode one. That's you know, King's Quest is was always like one of my all time favorite games way back when I was still playing King's Quest on um a monochromatic tandy. Uh, machine way back in the day probably before some of y'all were born because I'm old and uh, (laughs) And I didn't want to be the one to say it but you're not too far behind so you can't and uh, Life is Strange episode 4 which we really all got to talk about at some point not
5: tonight not tonight damn it Charlotte
1: (laughs) (laughs) um
0: so fallout shelter came out for android and i actually started to play fallout shelter again um because i played on the ipad when it first came out um but i had a a last generation ipad and not the air mm-hmm. so whenever my vaults got to like 24 people um they wouldn't open anymore <laughs> mm-hmm. so i was like sad and i stopped playing but then it came out for Android, so I've been playing a whole lot of um, Fallout Shelter on my phone. My phone like goes dead like three times a day now because I'm just like, <laughs> ah. <clears throat> um And it's kind of hard to build my numbers in my shelter because I, I refuse to turn the women in my shelters into breeding factories. Mm-hmm. So I have to wait for people to just show up at the door or, or get a lunchbox with a dweller in it or something. <clears throat> so I can build my numbers up
1: because
0: <clears throat> I've been playing for, it's been out for a couple weeks now, and I think my highest shelter has, like, 30 people in it. Um, And other people are like, I have, like, 60 people and 49 levels. I'm like, nope, not doing it. Yeah. <clears throat> um, So I've been playing a lot of that. Uh, I have also been playing um, as much as I hate it, as much as I hate it. Minecraft (laughs) (laughs) on the Xbox one, because somehow my child has decided that she, she used to hate Minecraft and she was like, who would want to play that game? All you do is chop down trees, dig holes and fall in lava. (laughs) (laughs) And now she's decided, well, maybe I want to play Minecraft. Now, but I figured out what it is. It's that she doesn't want to necessarily build things. Is she likes to she likes to go into like the the new pre rendered um like the new pre rendered worlds and just explore.
3: In her defense they are awesome.
0: They are pretty awesome. Um so that's kind of where she is now. But we were playing and she gets pissed off because she wants to fight things. She's a she is my kid is an adventure game RPG junkie. She wants to fight things, but then she gets really pissed off. Like she'll go around, and she'll collect stuff and she'll make stuff, not not buildings, but just things she can carry in her pocket. She, she's much like Alicia in that she, she's just hoarder when she plays these
3: types of games.
0: And then I she'll get it. she'll get killed and she'll lose everything and she'll be so fucking mad. Like it's my that fault. child is
3: basically my patronus. <laughs>
0: so um we've been playing a little bit of minecraft uh hopefully that phase will pass soon um
3: (laughs) you're boned
0: (laughs) as i hate minecraft with the flame of a thousand suns um (laughs) and then uh today I started playing a little Shadowrun Hong Kong because everybody needs a good RPG in their life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm really anxious to get into this one and see how much I like it or not.
3: I'll what I'm going to be playing that tomorrow. Yeah, see, so you're late. I know. I know. That was a lot of games, you guys. We're like real legitimate gamers over here. <laughs> well, except for me. I'm not a gamer. Don't
5: tell the men's. <laughs> <laughs>
3: You are. You're playing Lego. It's good enough.
5: I'm playing with boy toys. So. <laughs> yeah. And if you bought them from Target, motherfuckers would be like, Oh my god, they mixed up the aisles.
3: What have you done?
5: <laughs> I'm in trouble now. <laughs> you're a winner. You managed to incorporate Target.
1: You're a winner.
0: <laughs> All right. So let's do the fun stuff. Who's, we- who's reading something good? Who's who's reading something good this week? I've so got just some reading good that stuff. I was re- just getting ready. Yeah. Prepping for class. So I've got this interesting class. It's not a video games class. And I hate when I don't teach video games class. <laughs>
4: so
0: I, and remember, keep in mind, I think you all know, like I'm in the department of criminal justice. So I have to teach like about crime every once in a while. Mm. So I have this community context of crime. A uh, class that I'm, I'm oh. teaching, and so I've been trying to identify like some good readings. So we're gonna talk about. Um, I, I think I'm gonna kind of do like a case study thing, or we like focus like on different cities. You know, of course we're gonna focus on St. Louis and suburbs, but we're gonna focus on like Compton. Yeah. Too. So I got like all these cool readings about like how Compton, strata I'm in that mindset too. So um, in uh, I was thinking about like how Compton was like a middle class rising, progressive kind of neighborhood, and then, like, that all, like, went away. So just reading about what happened, the divestment, you know, underemployment, everything that happened to lead to, you know, what we know was like, you know, high gang inner city kind of violence, or like, you know, the 80s and early 90s and stuff. But reading how that came to be is really fascinating. I don't know the name of the book, but I'll find it out so you can pass post- <laughs> <It's laughs>
3: it <off here. laughs> Damn! Every time I hear about any anybody's cool class, I just want to take every class in the universe. I know. Yeah, I want to take it. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. I know. So as a native
0: Detroiter, Tashauna, you're really going to have to look at Detroit in that context as well at some point. Detroit's on the list. I'm going to have the students as a grad class, so it's a small class, so each each student's going to have, like, their own case study, so they'll have their own city or, you know, suburban context or whatever. And Detroit's on the list. I got you, Mama. I got you. <laughs> Philly? Philly's on the list. Uh, other cities. I'm trying to think of other cities or eat. Okay. All right. I'm
1: from <laughs> L.A. Adrian, are,
0: are you from Philadelphia, Adrian? Where are you from originally? Oh, we
2: can't hear you, Adrian. Uh now can you hear me? Yep. yep. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um no, I'm not from Philly originally. My uh, my mother was in the Navy, so we moved around a lot. Um so from is a weird question. I don't know. We grew up yeah. um by the time my mother remarried and she got out of the navy, we lived outside of D C. Um, which would be another good case study. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and then I went to went around and then ended up in Philly for grad school, then went around and then ended up with a job in Philly. So I haven't been in Philly nearly as long as it looks like I have.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: or feels like I have. I love <laughs> Philadelphia. I'm not I'm not bashing Philadelphia.
1: <laughs> well, what about
0: you, Adrian? You read anything interesting?
2: Yeah, um I actually started this uh started last week rereading Marcia Kinder's Playing with Power it's a book from 1991 about sort of Nintendo and Ninja Turtles and kid culture in the early nineties and like yeah. what it means for cognitive development and psychoanal Like she takes this sort of psychoanalytic framework to it, but, I mean, she's asking questions about what does it mean to have this generation, which was my generation, growing up with TV you interact with and stories that are told across mediated forms. And -hmm. it's this book that was, like, really controversial in media studies at its time, and now it's totally forgotten. Nobody reads it. Everybody reads, I I mean, everybody reads Henry Jenkins' Convergence Culture, which Mm -hmm. came out ten years later, in the same way that, like, Patricia Greenfield, who's heavily cited in the book, did... uh, mind and media back in, the back in like, 84, talking about the effects of computers and classrooms and learning. Nobody cites her. Everybody cites James Paul Gee, because his book came out in 2005, when people were ready to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I mean, getting back to the earlier point, like, people have already studied everything, but mm-hmm. if you don't keep building on that work, it totally gets forgotten. Especially work by women in game studies. I mean, women in all academic fields, but, mm-hmm. like, I mean, and, um, and I've been re- spent the past year working my way through all of Octavia Butler's novels because I was on yeah. a uh, talk at Ann Arbor in Michigan, and there's like an entire shelf of Octavia Butler, and I couldn't find any of her books in a used bookstore forever or online, and so I like filled my suitcase with all of her novels, and I've been working my way slowly <laughs> yeah. through. Which is a bit too much reproduction after a while, I have to say. Um, when you read them all at once, it's like so much reproduction. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, everybody has their theme, but, and they were not designed <laughs> to be read back to back, constantly thinking about eggs and sperm. <laughs> <laughs> all right.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh okay. Alright. Who else to is going to tell my the best life.
4: I just read this week the first volume of um Lumberjanes. Has anyone read that comic at all? Mm-mm. No, I heard but I haven't read it yet. I love it. I, I love it so much. <laughs> uh it's like it's 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 about this like group of girls at this summer camp and yeah. they go on these adventures and there's, like, yetis and other monsters and, like, riddles to be solved in Indiana Jones-like temples. And it's, like, such great relationships that these girls have together. Um, I don't know, it was very, very, like, I was, like, after I read it, I was, like, fuck yeah, girls. So, <laughs> I think um, all
2: good literature should produce that.
4: <laughs> yeah. And then I like couldn't stop talking about it. And obviously <laughs> I still can't cause I'm talking about it again right now. So, um, I, I'm really excited about that one. I read it like in an hour on the couch and just laughed straight through, which was oh. probably irritating to Alex, my husband because he was trying to take a nap and, uh, didn't work out for him very well, I can tell you that. <laughs>
3: my husband's just going to have to deal with it.
4: You know, yeah, my enjoyment of a comic book is much more important than a nap, right? Would you Would
3: you like me to send him a strongly worded email?
4: <laughs> no, it's okay. He has to deal with my strongly worded existence. <laughs>
3: yeah, my husband has just learned to accept my strongly worded existence. So
4: exactly.
3: We're on the same page. <laughs>
4: So so yeah, that's what I'm reading. I highly recommend it.
0: You should try um Rat Queens.
4: At that you know, I I immediately went on Amazon and like almost bought it until I realized that I have no money.
0: Okay, so here's the deal. I'll trade you I'll trade you Rat Queens for uh
3: lumberjanes. Perfect. I'll and I'll just you. borrow both Perfect. of them from y'all. Yeah. In-
4: yes. <laughs> Yay!
1: <laughs> I win!
4: <laughs> Hey, I would, too, because I have people to talk to about this stuff. Yeah. Always. Right? Yeah. I'm I'm really just doing it for you. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. I live to serve.
3: (laughs) Also, because I ain't reading anything fun. I'm just reading shit for postmodernism, so please give me some fun stuff.
4: Well, I also had to read some 19th century American poetry, so, you know. Was there a lot of
3: nature? Was there a lot of nature and flowers and feelings?
4: Yes, and some problematic discussion of Native Americans as well. Of
3: course. Motherfuckers. motherfuckers. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You (laughs) historical asshole! (laughs) (laughs) Y'all, we haven't even gotten to drinks yet. What the fuck is happening on this podcast? What else are y'all reading? Well, I'll tell you what
0: I'm reading. I'll be fast. Um, I'm reading, um, because you were were talking about Metal Gear Gear Solid earlier. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm going to have to get another drink soon. Um, (laughs) I'm reading, I got a review copy of, um, speaking of, you know, people we've had on the show recently, um, Ashley and Anthony Birch's book um, on Metal Gear Solid that they have written for Boss Fight Books. I've heard it's so funny. Yeah, I know. Um, and so they're and they're funny too in the book. I really kind of like the way that it is written because Boss Fight, you know, has these 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 game these game themed books, but they've done some interesting things with the footnotes. And in the same way that they have that kind of witty banter in the Hey Ash, What You Playing series, they're playing out that banter in the footnotes of the book itself. So it's kind of really fucking funny, um, and they they go into the book going, okay, so let's start out by saying we really kind of hated these games, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, cool. Um, but it's been a really good read so far. I'm not quite finished with it yet. Um, so, and I'm sure I'll write a review of it when it's all said and done. But so far, I'm enjoying the read. That's been my fun read while I've been sick all week, thanks to my kid. <laughs> <laughs> Little yeah, peachy dish that she
4: is. <clears throat> she's a sharer, okay?
0: Yes, apparently she is.
4: <clears throat> you talk her values like generosity, you know? Yeah,
0: she's not gonna share nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh what about you Charlotte? Reading anything
3: interesting? Oh, you got orientation week, you're not reading anything, are you? No. No reading. Uh, Charlotte and I are way too fucking busy this week oh mm-hmm. I'm playing catch up from being out of town and it's been unreal. Yeah,
0: I'm busy being sick. Alright, here's the fun part. What you drinking? Well, Adrian? it's gone now because it took us so long. <laughs> wham wham. Don't blame us on your alcohol. Don't blame your alcoholism on us. Alright. Adrian You're a what you drinking?
2: I am drinking Vermont's own Williver's Fine Organic Ales. No, I feel like I'm advertising. Um, it's their wildflower weed. Um, <laughs> I used live in Vermont. I'm a big fan of Vermont beards. So you say wildflower weed? Sounds yep.
5: good. Cool.
2: It's bearded with pure organic honey. It is the crunchiest and most righteous of hippie beers ever. <laughs>
3: I so, no. want that. Be, so is, it's it, it it's
2: organic. It has no GMOs because apparently GMOs matter in beer. I don't know. Um. It's very, it's very righteous beer.
3: <laughs> if you need uh, a oh, crunchy beer with only locally sourced ingredients, <laughs> turn to Vermont <laughs> Oh my god!
2: But, and it's been a while, so I might go if I disappear. I went to get another one. That's fine.
3: We approve. Yeah, yeah we're, we're we're good with refills. <laughs> Wait though, soon we're going to be asking you questions, so it might be kind of awkward okay. if you disappear. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you like Adrian?
5: No, <laughs> <Yo. Yo>, Adrian. <laughs> I'm sorry, I All couldn't right. help it. everybody now. <laughs>
1: right.
5: Shana, right.
0: What you drinking? Well. Y'all know I don't drink. so And y'all know I'm not a night owl. Y'all know um, I, I go to sleep rarely, so I always push the limit with this. <laughs> I, you gotta know. And I'm trying to limit sugar in my diet. Oh. And I don't know. It's too much light. If you're trying food.
3: to limit sugar in your diet and you need to <laughs> stay
0: up late. I know. Try so a like, V8. I'm,
3: I'm
0: so I have a V8 v-fusion energy diet drink strawberry lemonade how is it it's actually pretty good it's it's actually like really good and I know my partner you know was saying if if you add vodka it will probably make it even better but I'm not <laughs> gonna add vodka he's <laughs> <It, that> probably <laughs> right though I'm just, <laughs> yeah See, I'm the one I'm the one that will add vodka to everything mm-hmm.
1: yeah mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that's I want people to come to my house. I
0: put vodka in everything.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> I tell you, I tell y'all, I have never been day drunk as many times as since I have met Sam. She's the worst fucking influence, right? under the sun <laughs> I'm going like, oh, to work at like 9 o'clock in the morning and she's like have some vodka <laughs> <laughs> I'm like I made this great picture
0: of of, a, of, an, herbal, of an herbal tea and it, it's really good and it's really fruity it'd be even better if we put some of this cranberry <laughs> vodka in it <laughs> <laughs> it's the worst <laughs> I'm horrible
3: you <laughs> oh, <God. laughs>
0: are
3: the worst influence
0: I am speaking of vodka Um, I am drinking a um a mixture of my own concoction. It's cranberry pomegranate juice with um just like San Pellegrino sparkly
5: water and cranberry vodka. Wow, she's taking a page out of my book. I see it needed it needed some 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 sparkle. Yeah, I needed some sparkle.
3: (laughs) So I'm like, oh San Pellegrino. I love the San Pellegrino stuff, but man, I don't make enough money for that shit. Well
5: you can you can get a soda stream and make it happen at home. I have a soda stream. Well make it happen. Uh, I do do it's not quite the same. Yeah. It's it's pretty close enough, especially if you put vodka in it. <laughs> Our new motto: just put some vodka put some in
1: it. Vodka in. <laughs> Feels like oh, it's the same Lord. thing. <laughs> oh no.
2: my Should make t-shirts. Put one. some
0: vodka in it.
4: <laughs> I, I'm drinking um, vodka right now too, so like it follows, you know. There you go. I'm well, gonna add this, this to my to-do list. list. What was that? I'm already working
3: on stuff for Invisibility Blues, so I'll just design a new shirt also.
4: Put some vodka in, <laughs> in it. There you go. So, Bianca, what are you drinking? I'm just going classic. Vodka. Cla- just vodka straight. No, I'm, I'm just a <laughs> classic summer staple of vodka soda. Little lemon. Oh, That's my nice. jam because my mom gave me a Costco card this summer. So I immediately went to Costco and got the huge Kirkland, like, it's like as big as (laughs) my torso for like $20 of vodka. And, wow. um, You're like rolling
3: a barrel out of the building.
4: Exactly. I, when I got that, I got one of the like 96 packs of tampons and like that's what I left with. Tampons so, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I wish <laughs> I could have seen you
0: out. A <laughs> Now, I've heard that people sometimes mix the two. But <laughs> so that's a
2: whole other set of results it was like- I don't think that's recommended no. <laughs> That no. may lead to toxic shock syndrome Yeah, yeah, exactly <laughs> Or at least no. a really bad yeast infection I'm sorry oh. I'm that a <laughs> hmm. oh, You
3: know what? Every every other Thursday, I'm like, oh, I'm so tired. We have podcast tonight, uh, and then about this time of night, I'm like, this is the greatest thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, by the way, I'm I've I've finished a bottle of wine, so oh, that's oh, where I am. Um, kind I'm of wine switch to. Uh, oh, it was a riesling. Uh, I'm gonna switch to my last lonely. Remaining summer shandies. Oh. In the
5: yeah, that's actually a good segue into my, my con- I, I'm very conflicted right now because um, not only are the summer shandies uh, disappearing, like, with rap, which is rapidly it's alarming, um, but uh, also I was thinking, you know, today I was like, okay, well, I can't get summer shandy anymore, or really any of the good shandies. Mm-mm. So. But the, but the Travelers, the liquor store near me still had Traveler's Grapefruit, right? So I go, I'm like, I'm going to go get that because I'm not ready for this pumpkin shit yet. I like pumpkin, but I mean,
3: it's, it's August, you know? Y'all, that pumpkin shandy made me so mad at the store today. I was pissed.
5: Uh, well, me That's where I'm going with this is I went to go get the grapefruit shandy, and I walk over to where it was, you know, the other day, <laughs> and it, uh, it's... Not there. Yep. <laughs> so, but but I did find it. I had to wander around for a minute. They had some. It was on the not refrigerated part. But but still, the the it, the time is coming. But but it's August. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm gonna need talk you
3: to the- message me about where you found that shit. Like off yeah. podcast chat. Yeah.
0: No, that's funny because I went to the store today too. See, it's podcast day, so everybody goes to the liquor store. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Liquor consumption goes up by twenty percent on podcasts <laughs>
1: oh, in uh, Lafayette. Um, so I went
0: hundred. to uh, I went to the liquor store, and yeah, they had this huge display of all the pumpkin beers. And I'm like, really? It's like ninety degrees outside. I know <laughs> Hell, it's all pumpkin in, beer, y'all.
3: Yeah. I love. Yeah. I, I was know. so mad when I went, <laughs> and they all I had these pumpkin fucking ales and pumpkin shandy. And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Mm-hmm. At least, well, shows how
5: much I love pumpkin. I love pumpkin, but I don't all. give
3: too fucks about some pumpkin. I like <laughs> pumpkin and baked goods, but don't put it in my fucking coffee. Don't put it in my beer. No, I want it over there. And in my beer,
5: but not in
2: no. August. <laughs> uh, actually, I had a really long conversation with. I don't know if you guys know about Pennsylvania liquor laws. They're really like they're really weird. Liquor, they're weird. You can only buy beer in some places, and you have to yeah. buy a case beer, but then bottle shops can sell you a six-pack, and you have to buy your wine and liquor from state-run stores, and you can't get them anywhere else.
1: It's mm-hmm.
2: all complicated, mm-hmm. but we luckily live a block away from a bottle shop where you can make mixed six-packs, so you Ooh. go and pick whatever you want, yeah. and the dudes yeah. who run it and the women who run it are super knowledgeable about beer, and so like, I went in and I was like, it's August, why do you have pumpkin beer? And apparently, one, made, they made that beer last year in the fall, right? So mm-hmm. it's all Ready already, but the season is so narrow for when they can produce pumpkin ale that they started shipping it earlier and earlier because otherwise they run out by the time people actually want it. So they, I mean, it's kind of like um, I don't know fashion seasons or holiday mm-hmm. shopping seasons. They can only they can't extend on the back end, so they keep making it earlier and earlier on the front end. So basically, um, next year, year we'll be drinking.
5: Su- Good. I was say next year we'll be drinking summer shandy in January.
2: Yep. <laughs> I'm okay with pumpkin that. Pumpkin ale at the 4th of July. <laughs> right. <laughs> right.
3: <laughs> no, Next time, as soon as Summer Shandy and Grapefruit Shandy come out, I'm going to descend upon the greater Lafayette liquor stores
5: and I'm uh, going to absorb everything. I did that one time and I had this like quite this stock call going and then my mom came to visit and she's like, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> she's Like, What the hell wrong with you? <laughs> I was like, I, I, I don't know, know what to <laughs> Look, I'm a grad student. Okay,
3: I need a lot of beer.
5: (laughs) (laughs) I had like a wall, not like a wall. I had like I don't know. I probably had like maybe three cases, but it just looked bad.
3: (laughs) Shut up, mom.
5: (laughs) I I, I, I tried to explain that they were getting rid of it, and she's no comprehension. She's like, I don't get it. Yeah.
0: All right. Let's keep going. See, we haven't even gotten to the good stuff yet. Good God. I know. I know. You guys are it's horrible. Um, Alicia? Yes, ma'am. It's on you, darling. What do we got for news?
3: Oh. She's like, news. Uh, what? <laughs> um, wait, we mentioned something earlier that was newsworthy. <laughs> I don't know. Skip it. We're behind. Not because I didn't prepare, but because we're behind. <laughs> A lot of shit has happened. You'll read about
4: it. <laughs> Google is Well said.
3: Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I forgot. I've been really busy this week.
0: Well, on that note,
3: we're going to keep going.
0: Say, this, is, this is what we've all been waiting for. Right. And um, this has been our opportunity uh, to... Talk with Adrian um, and ask her some good questions, um, <clears throat> and maybe some not so good questions, <laughs> <laughs> um,
3: and see where we. Uh, oh, hold on. And Wait, but what if what if Adrian's beer is empty?
2: Oh, I just right. got another one. I on Yes. Did you hear I'm that part? Mm-hmm. No, I I typed it in the yeah. No. Oh. <laughs>
1: I'm
2: sorry. <laughs> so gonna, I'm
0: going to start. I'm going to jump off and, and ask an initial question, um, and then we can move forward from that point. Um, and this is a question because I already know the answer to it. It's uh, <laughs> an interesting one. Um, it's a two-part question. Um, first, Adrian, mm-hmm. do you see yourself as a gamer? And second, how do you see that identity fitting in with your identity as a games researcher?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, I, I, I know I told you this already, and I think I've told, I I sort of talk about this a lot, but I don't really identify as a gamer, um, which I think is probably surprising for most people. I don't, I play a ton of games I mean, I play games year round, but I, I think the best way I can explain it is I also play ice hockey, but I hate sports. Right, ice hockey is something I do. I love doing it. It's something I've done for over a decade now. I'm not enough of a fan, or have really the time or inclination to pay attention to who the latest hockey stars are, what the what the Flyers are doing, what who won the last Stanley Cup. Like that's not the level of interest I have in it. And it's the same with games. Like I I love playing games. I play a lot of games. I tend to you know stick with the same series. I mentioned Assassin's Creed earlier. I, for all its problems I love that series so I play all the games in it but I'm not you know, I'm not going to buy a, a gaming magazine not that they exist anymore I don't stay on top of the news outside of what I need for my research just because it's you know I have a job that requires me to stay up on a lot of things that I'd stay up on my hobby just as much isn't quite as of interest to me and so like it's a thing I do it's not who I am mm-hmm. Um, and that's actually it. When I started, was kind of hard because one, when I told people I studied video games, they're like, "Oh, are you a gamer?" And I was like, "I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't dislike them. I play them, but it's not who I am." And then if you go to gaming conferences, you know, I mean, I love gaming conferences because finally people know what I'm talking about. I don't have to, you know, people don't just nod and say, "Oh, that's cool, right?" They can engage with what I'm talking about mm-hmm. but when it comes to you know people tossing in games game slang or you know references that you know we all get because we're all gamers I'm like well that's gatekeeping right that's that's marking a lot of people's not being able to have access to game studies if you're expected to know everything about all games or if you teach about games and the first thing students will often do is what's your favorite game Sometimes that's done in a really nice way. It's in a, like, they're just trying to find a way to connect with you. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's done in a really douchey way. It's a, do you know enough about games for me to listen to what you have to say? Right? Right. Mm -hmm. And it's... You know, the same thing isn't asked of like film scholars or TV scholars. They're not. I mean, they do our ask, like, "What's your favorite movie? What's your favorite show?" When nobody else knows what to talk to you about. But it's not like, "Are you a big movie buff?" Because you're a film scholar. It's
3: not a challenge. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, that's it. Mm -hmm. It's not as much of a challenge to you. And like, I, I mean, I've played games since. The mid 1980s, which is roughly when I was born as well. Like, I grew up playing games. We had consoles. I mean, we didn't buy new consoles because my parents were in the navy, so they didn't have a ton of money. But like, we had a Nintendo. Eventually, in the 90s, we had a Sega Genesis, and then in college, I had friends who had consoles, and, or I had a laptop. And like, you know, you can always find ways to play, even if it's not the main part of your time. Mm-hmm. But gamer culture just wasn't something that felt like that was what I wanted, right? Like, I mean, I'm going to conventions, being really into it, knowing everything about everything seems like a lot of work for a hobby for me, which isn't to dismiss people who do that. You can, t- I, you can totally be a huge sports fan. I'm not going to say you shouldn't be, but that's not my appreciation for sports. I like playing them. I don't like being the expert on them. I've, I have a job where I have to be an expert on a lot of things, so if I can cut out my hobbies, that that's useful for me. Um,
3: can can is it okay if I add a follow up to this? Sure. That was a really good answer, mm-hmm. uh, and it's something I think it's something that we've talked about before. It's something that I think all of us face. We've all seen that look when we tell like our students, um, "Oh yeah, we work on games." That look. Oh, what's your favorite game? <laughs> uh, that question with an edge. But considering that it's August and the anniversary of a certain event, <clears throat> has your answer changed any to that in the past year, or is this just kind of how you've always felt? Because for a lot of people it has changed <laughs> in the past
2: year. No, that was how I was always felt. And actually that's in part, I mean, why I wrote the Ada piece, which resulted in YouTube videos yeah. from the movement that we're not talking about, um, because, you know, I dare to suggest that there are people who play games who don't identify as gamers, I mean, you know, I always felt that was something that was just weird about me, and then I was interviewing people, and as I was going back through over my interview scripts, I was noticing a lot of people I was talking to didn't identify as gamers, they offered really quali- qualified answers, um, And I was like, oh, so it's not just me. A lot of people feel this way. And why do we feel this way? It's because there are a lot of different ways of relating to this category because there are lots of ways people identify us as belonging to or not belonging to that category. So a lot of people I've interviewed say, you know, well, I used to, but I don't think gamers would consider me a gamer anymore because I don't play as much or I don't play the right kinds of games or I'm not as up on things anymore. And so it becomes, I mean it's not to say that all games, like that happens with all identity categories, right? Mm -hmm. Are you enough of whatever you're identifying as, especially a member of a marginalized group, right? I mean, it happens within queer communities on a regular basis. Are you, do you have the right kinds of politics, the right kinds of identity, the right definition of your sexuality, the right understanding of gender categories, like Mm -hmm. that causes insider outsider dynamics. And I think, gamer is just another one of those identity categories that you see yeah. those dynamics playing out in.
3: Yeah, I don't really talk about bisexuality anymore because I'm married to a man and then I get a lot of looks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. People yeah. get freaked out, right? I'm like, yeah. I still have my sexual identity. Mm-hmm.
1: Like, yeah. Uh, right. Don't no, no, about- no, you
0: know, you gave that up at the altar. <laughs> <laughs> Look. Well, you, didn't you burn your card when you got married? You yeah. <laughs> were supposed to.
2: You were supposed to hand in that card when you got married. I don't I don't know what you're doing.
3: Um, <laughs> I'll that.
2: We will have to go collect that, I'm sorry. We were married by
3: a guy who was ordained on the internet, so I mean it was really fucked up.
5: <laughs> he didn't know the don't blame the internet car. for this. <laughs> <Matthew> internet!
3: <laughs> No, I think that, that's that's mm-hmm. that's really. Thank you. That was a really good answer. Yeah. Thank you. I still want to be you when I grow up. Yeah. <laughs> me
0: too. I've been stalking Adrian like forever now. Can
3: we start a club? Like after this, can we? You and me? Can we like get in on this thing? Mm-hmm. Club? <laughs> yeah. Wait, what's can club? I be the treasurer?
4: Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> we're gonna. Shh.
3: Don't tell Adrian we're starting a stalking
4: <laughs> club. Okay. <laughs> on the down low,
3: you guys. Yeah. I won't tell
0: anybody. I promise. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I think the next question
5: falls to Charlotte. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> your your answer to the previous question really got me thinking, though, um, which I guess I guess it kind of dovetails with my my actual question. But <laughs> so you're talking about you know um, how you don't feel like you need to know everything about your hobby, and then I. I start to think about like I can't even explain how obsessed I am with Lego,
1: mm-hmm. And it has
5: nothing to do with like one-upping people,
1: mm-hmm.
5: which I know is not what you're saying. But I'm just was thinking about like I don't feel like I have to 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 defend my Lego knowledge, but then I but at the same time I feel like I can't stop gaining it, mm-hmm. which is just I don't know an aside I guess. Um, my, my actual question was um, and and who identifies as a gamer? You talk about a number of people who play a lot of games, but do not identify as a gamer, which made me, reminded me of me. So, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> I'm thinking here especially about the section on gender, and I'm wondering if... I haven't always identified as a gamer, but it seems like I hear more and more women in gaming talking about it, and I was wondering if you see a shift in that.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, I've actually... So... The project I did, that was part of my dissertation, and the two gamer identity pieces were sort of the chapter that didn't fit into the book, basically. It was just, mm-hmm. I'd asked that interview question, and there was so much there that it turned into two separate projects. Mm-hmm. And for people who haven't read it, the people I talked to um, were people who fit into the intersections of not being white, not being heterosexual, not being female identi- or cisgendered female. Um, yeah. And for the most part, that was, you know, when I started looking at who identified as a gamer and who didn't, it was pretty clear that the women largely didn't. Sorry, the men my largely d- Sorry.
1: Um. <laughs> <laughs> I'm to find he to <laughs>
2: um, or she agrees. Um Women largely didn't, men largely did, and race and sexuality really didn't matter that much. Um, and what was interesting is that the women who didn't identify as gamers, they rarely mentioned gender, but their descriptions of what gamers were like that they didn't identify with were heavily gendered as male. Right. So they didn't say, I'm a girl, so I'm not a gamer. They said, I don't play enough, or I only got into games through guys, or gamer in my head is this very particular image, and they described mm-hmm. sort of your... Typical dude gamer bro that you'd see on like a crappy sitcom, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that um, and so a lot of that not identifying is they know they have a conception of what that category is and they didn't identify with it. The project yeah. I've been doing that is totally unrelated to the rest of my work on um, developing an educational game. We asked that question of of participants in the experiments um, as well, which is I know roughly two thousand people over the past four years. And despite the fact that something like, I don't know, 50% of the people play games weekly um, or multiple times a week, only about 15% identifies gamers, right? And actually, I mean, and that it, the number seems to be shifting more and more. So, like, more and more people are playing games and have, play games on a regular basis, especially when you use a broad definition of what games, what games are. But it seems like there's this sort of steady... T- Fifteen to twenty percent who actually identify as gamers, um, and I think that I don't think we need everybody to identify as game gamers for games to matter. I think I mean in the same way that like we don't ha- need everybody to be a film buff for films to matter. Yeah. like you can like there can be this special group of people who are super into music and are the nerdiest music nerds there ever were. And everybody else is still going to listen to music, and that's great. And we can still talk about why music matters. And I think games are the same way. Um, yeah. I don't think that means gamers have to go away. I think game culture can still exist within that framework. But I think that we can't just assume everybody who plays games identifies with that subculture, which is how we've studied it as game scholars for a long time.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you. Yeah, that makes a lot of. Yeah, that was great. I just awesome. I want to clap.
4: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, Bianca. Yeah. Um I have a uh, a couple questions. Um and I think they do kind of extend off of that a little bit, um, especially thinking about the idea of like identification. Um but not necessarily identification with a, as a gamer but maybe with a character. Um, Mm -hmm. You guys like that transition? Uh, Yeah. Um, So uh, I, and I'm thinking about kind of some of the things that you argue in gaming at the edge, which I, not to brown nose, but have been obsessed with a little bit this (laughs) summer. So um, it's so good. And I've read it like three times, um, and then I just keep flipping through it because I think you make some fantastic points that just really make me think. And one of the things that really has gotten me thinking is this idea about like representation and identification and diversity mm-hmm. and how they all kind of go together. And I really kind of I've really been stoked on on this idea that where you talk about like that marginalized groups shouldn't be represented more in games because like representation like matters to audience but like maybe because of the opposite like diversity mm-hmm. in games is good because of that just mm-hmm. in itself kind of a thing because representation doesn't matter and I really like the mm-hmm. like the the fact that that argument is like the opposite of, of how arguments are usually made in favor of, of more diverse representation <laughs> um, and so I was wondering if you could maybe speak a little bit more, um, especially for people who maybe haven't, who are listening, who haven't necessarily read your book, because I think you make some really important points, um, if you could maybe speak a little bit more about your understanding about this relationship between representation and diversity and identification and, like, how that affects the way that we think about how games are produced and also how we how we consume games as well, mm-hmm. if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um well, first, for people who haven't read Gaming at the Edge, Bianca wrote a really great post for Not Your Mama's Gamer about it. Um, which, really, <laughs> I mean, it was one of the few uh, pieces I've read which I felt, like, really synthesized that section really well, so. Oh, thank you. And, girl, you're <laughs> She's back. She's
4: amazing. <laughs> no. No, you guys are. God.
2: Love fest. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess part of it was um, I've done projects since 2006 where I've interviewed people from a variety of perspectives and backgrounds, from LGBTQ gamers to gamers in the Middle East to gamers in Finland and India and female gamers, and then the book project, which was sort of addressing people as an intersection who don't identify as gamers, Um, and that this I don't care that much when it comes to games about representation was this constant in all of those interviews. It comes through again and again. People are like, I don't care that much. Um, But, you know, as a media scholar, I know both in a theoretical and an empirical sense why representation matters, right? I, you know, I teach about representation. I know the effects of, like, you know, I don't believe in direct media effects, but it's part of this, you know, this toolkit we have to imagine the world with. Mm-hmm. And if that toolkit is always the same images over and over again, then our ability to live in the world is, is impeded. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so the book, I mean, was a lot of me trying to sit down with that and try to figure out like, how do I not say the people I've interviewed are wrong because I don't think they are. They're expressing their own opinion
1: mm-hmm.
2: and representation can still matter. And part of it was that if you look at the way people talk about representation, especially in games, it becomes this really like a really oversimplified understanding of how people identify with game characters in the first place. One of which is, you know, in game studies for a long time, you heard this rhetoric over and over again of people identify with characters stronger because you're controlling it, therefore you are the character. If you go back to literary studies or film studies, that was never what identification was defined as. Mm-hmm. That came from out of social, social psychology much more than anything else. But identification with other media is much more about seeing something in that character on the screen that reminds you of yourself, right? Not that it is you, not that you take on the role of that character, but you have like, yeah, I see where they're coming from. My, when I ask people how they define identification, that's sort of the main way they do it. It's like, I I could get where that person's coming from and it's the same place I'm coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, with games, you know identification being you're the thing on the screen meant that when people tried to fix identification, they're like, oh, well we'll just change the little thing on the screen. It won't make a difference, right? You want to play as a female character? Fine. You get that option. You want to play as a person of color? Fine. You get that option. Kind of if you if identify race as just being a certain kind of skin tone, which is, as we all know, isn't how race is identified as in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's much richer than that. It's stories. It's life experiences. All these things we think of as represented by our bodies are expectations about how our bodies affect how we interact with the world. And games for a long time weren't giving us that. They were just giving us, oh, girls want to play as girl characters, so we'll add a girl icon. Mm -hmm. You know, in part, that assumes all girls look the same. All girls I mean, there are several women here who have short hair. If you've ever tried to make a, a little me on the Wii. You have to go to, like, five pages in to find anyone who has short hair. And if you have not, uh, like, Caucasian hair, then you have to go even farther or make your own or buy extra or not find it in the first place, right? Like, it takes a lot of extra work. Like, I would like to see Hishana make a me that looks exactly like her. That seems to be what you're asking, too. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yep, and that's
0: funny because w- w- I, I actually wrote a post about this a while a while back when I first started playing um, the latest Animal Crossing and mm-hmm. in order to make a, a character that looked like me it was work I had to put in work right because you had to be outside in the sun <laughs> for X amount of hours every day or your skin color faded back <laughs> faded back yeah. To 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 a um to a very kind of pale skin tone. Sam, I never knew you, you
3: just had a really good suntan.
0: Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what it was. That's in real life. Why uh-huh. do you think I'm
3: outside so much?
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have to stay outside three hours every day. Um,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so it would be like you would walk your little character out, maybe go to the maybe go to the island, and then leave it there and like shut your and shut your DS and hope your battery didn't go dead was <laughs> so technically outside for x number just of hours a just to get a, a
2: digital day. character a suntan right <laughs> like like you can code that like just to get a digital character a suntan requires an <laughs> immense amount of work um right. and that, i don't know if the person ever published it i was at a conference and somebody was presenting on second life and how if you wanted to be asian in second life you had to actually spend money like you couldn't make those, you couldn't make those skins just like tweaking with the features. Like you had to go out of your way to purchase that. And the same, like anything, any avatar skin that wasn't uh, like sort of traditionally Caucasian always cost more money. Yeah. Always uh, was harder to find in the first place. You had to go to specialized stores for it. Like for something that you know could be designed more relatively, more directly into the game. At the same time, and this is something I talk about um, in the book as well, is that increasingly, because games can provide options in the first place, game developers have sort of taken, I don't know, spent a little less time working on creating diverse set characters, right? Like, the idea is that you have to make a game that provides everybody all the options, and then they go, oh, that's too much work, it costs too much money, we'll never Mm -hmm. sell that game. But it doesn't cost a lot of money to make one character, right? Mm-hmm. One character mm-hmm. in one good game that's mm-hmm. the thing on the screen. Like, just I mean, I understand that it's cheaper for all of the Assassin's Creed games to basically be the same game over and over again, just with different hair colors. But, like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting in trouble for saying and that, aren't I? I? I'm sorry, Ubisoft. <laughs> I love your games. But all your characters look the same. <laughs> <laughs> um I'm tired of driving ships. And I really hate the part where you have to kill whales. I don't approve of that whatsoever. <laughs> I mean, speaking of representation, right? Like these, like the things you have to do in the game are never discussed as part of representation. I cannot bring myself to hunt whales in any of the Assassin's Creed games, where you get a ship and you're supposed to go out and kill a poor, defenseless humpback. Like I know what that whaling culture produced.
3: We've talked about that in Destiny. Like there's a part in Destiny where you're supposed to kill these people who are these aliens, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. who are praying. Yeah. Sam even made a video. What? And like, you don't get a choice. You just yeah. have to go in and shoot them. The only choice you have is to turn off the game.
0: Yeah. You have to to kill them and kill their god.
2: Yeah. <laughs> what the hell? What <laughs> No, it reminds me of like um. I play. I only played WoW for a year because uh, I was bullied into it. I was never really an MMO RPG person because I don't like people. To be honest, I love <laughs> <live> all <laughs> you. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like playing games with people. Um. But there would be all these quests where you had to, like, go slaughter a bunch of animals to get, like, bones to give to somebody to get a crystal to go unlock something else. Mm -hmm. And you turn around and, like, the field is just covered in all these dead creatures. And I feel so guilty in a way that I don't when I kill a bunch of, like, I don't know. British soldiers in Assassin's Creed 3 like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, kill the British, fuck them. But,
1: British. <laughs> the in oh, the body.
2: <laughs>
3: we would like to apologize to any of our listeners who are from the UK.
2: Yes. <laughs> I, and I'm the wow. colonial British, I don't mean you. <laughs> right.
5: I totally get what you're saying, because I, I, mean I, <laughs> I recently went back and watched all this is a Lego thing. And I was like, "Oh my god, this whole thing is about animal abuse, which is something I did not pick up on when I was younger." Um, so it really bothered me. <laughs> I was sad.
3: I mean, it's it's a really good point though that that there are a lot of decisions even though you might have a choice to make your character in whatever image you prefer. Mm-hmm. Um, once you get into the story of the game, sometimes you just don't have a choice about the narrative. Mm-hmm. Which raises a lot of questions. Like, there's only in some cases technically so much leeway they can give you.
2: They don't design
3: it a certain way. They still want you to follow a linear story, mm-hmm. um, and and that's maybe the next great frontier. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about that. We recorded Sam and I recorded our Patreon podcast. You should sign up as a Patreon uh, on Patreon for our website. Seven dollars a month, you get the Patreon podcast. Um, we talked about Life is Strange and the ability to kind of make the story the way you want it to. Because that game is really flexible in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it affects some of those things, but in most games it doesn't. It's such a wonder in Life is Strange because mm-hmm. other games don't do it. It's mm-hmm. this thing that you're talking about.
2: No, and there are so many games where, like, you. I mean, a lot of people have written about this, but it's like the illusion of choice. Like yeah. Yeah. There are a lot, there are like 50 different endings, but you can't really change the outcome. So, like, I I really like David Cage's game. I liked Indigo Prophecy. I really liked Heavy Rain for all of its problems. But when I went back, like, it, it, the game's been out forever, so I don't mm-hmm. think a spoiler alert is necessary. <laughs> but spoiler alert, um, you find out the guy who you thought was the detective's the killer in Heavy Rain. Sorry mm-hmm. if I ruined that for anybody. Um <laughs> But I went back and replayed it, and I was like, okay, well, I know he's the killer. I'm going to screw him up so that he can't hide the evidence. The game won't let you do that. Right. And I'm like, this seems like something that would be a really obvious choice. Like, it doesn't have to ruin the story, but it's something they didn't think people would try, I guess. And that's, I mean, that's when, it. I mean... I t- I t- I've talked about a lot, a lot of other people have talked about this too, like just adding diversity to the industry in and of itself doesn't fix anything because there are structural barriers within it. There are all the microaggressions and, you know, people trying to fit into a culture like the ad woman and women in stir approach doesn't fix gender disparity in any industry, mm-hmm. but adding just more voices who can be at the table and say, Hey, what if the people did this instead? And people be like, no, nobody would ever try that. And they're like, I think a lot of people would try that. Why don't yeah. we add a storyline for that? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you you know, you can't expect one person to account for all possible options, but you need you know enough bodies at the table who can come from different perspectives, who would try playing in different ways, you know. And the same reason you don't just need to be have a industry full of people who identify as gamers, mm-hmm. right? There are a lot of people who play games who aren't gamers who could tell you how to make those games better, because they still play a lot of games. They're just not into it in the same way, which affects their approach to the games in the first place.
3: But you know, it's interesting, because some of those things do exist, but they're hidden, and then sometimes it's really overt, such Mm -hmm. as in in Beyond, speaking of David Cage, um, in Beyond... In the, the one really, it was very heavily talked about scene in which, you know, Jody's almost sexually assaulted. You can leave. You can leave really early, which is actually a super good life choice, but nobody yes. does it because you feel like you're supposed to stay there in the bar, mm-hmm. like something is going to happen. So e- almost everybody goes to that part of the story, but you can leave and totally avoid that part. Yeah. But it's not really telegraphed in any way. And again, you feel like you're kind of roped into staying there because that's what the game expects you to do. Mm -hmm. So I feel like as you're saying, if there were other people there as part of the development process, they might have said, like, well maybe we could, I don't know, like make that more apparent or make it feel more like a choice. That's Mm -hmm. part of the magic of Beyond is that you can make choices but it doesn't feel like it. But we're also all gamers, so we're thinking about things in a certain way because we quote unquote want to win, right? Mm -hmm. But then you have other games in which it's really overt, like Uh, The classic, I don't want to say classic it's not a very good game, the classic example of a lack of diversity on the development end. carnival games, uh, the original carnival games, in which there were black characters who existed in the game. The Barker was African American, Mm -hmm. but you couldn't make a character that was not white. Mm -hmm. And that's a clear reflection of a development team that was all white and was just like, oh, we assume that only white people like to play skee-ball. Mm-hmm. So well, I mean, there's, there's all these different levels where we need to change who's at the table having these discussions. Yeah. But it's I not mean, the same. There's not one answer. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. No. And it's, I mean, I think that's part of the frustration a lot of, I think, academics have with the industry and industry has with academics, right? Is that when the industry does, you know, on occasion talk to academics and they're like, well, just tell us what to do. And academics are like, well, it's complicated. <laughs> and we're both like, Fuck off! Like you don't you don't understand how hard my job is, and I don't under like and then you don't understand how hard my job is, right? Like the there isn't an easy answer. I can't tell you the you know five best practices and go on with your day because the five best practices are just never going to actually help, right? Because it's all much more complicated than that. It's not you need a game that everybody can play, but you do need a game that is thoughtful, right? You need enough people in the room to help you make that game more thoughtful, who know why certain choices are going to call upon racist uh, colonial histories and other story cho- choices can reflect those and be slightly better. I mean, I think one of the great examples of this is Assassin's Creed 3 simultaneously has really interesting critique of colonial U.S. history with a totally <laughs> fanboy let's all go help the American Revolution at the same exact time. And like there are moments where they critique it and then there are moments when they don't. And I think part of that is that there was somebody on the team who's like, "No, we need to talk about this part of this history."
1: Mm.
2: But it didn't match up with what you did in the game. So it's like the <sighs> colonial powers are taking over our land. Let's go help them throw a- the Boston Tea Party. Wait. Is that what we're doing? Now we're going to go, like, we just helped the patriots because the British stole our land, and then eventually maybe we might go protect our village again, right? Um, And it's, I mean, when it comes, I don't know, I feel like I got off on a tangent away from the question. (laughs) Uh, Hoping that doesn't really matter.
4: (laughs) I think that 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 kind of speaks to, like, something that you say in the book, again, not to be fangirly right now, but, like, the importance of narrative. Too mm-hmm. in, in identification, and how, like, you found I feel like I'm putting words in your mouth, but when I read it, you said, um, <laughs> like, your interviewees were all like, the, the thing that they identified most with, it seemed to be, was the narrative. And when they identified with a game, it was because of the game's narrative. And so yep. I think that, that kind of maybe tying in everything that we're saying here as the, the resident literature. Person, I guess, um, like thinking about how you know getting people in the room to talk about the narrative of the mm-hmm. game, and to think about how constructing better narratives with and more diverse narratives could could be important in in just making the games that we play better, um, and maybe transitioning that idea into my second question, you guys, I'm the I'm the king of transitions over here. Um, <laughs> Um, but also like thinking about how we as scholars and researchers and critics talk about Mm -hmm. these games and the narratives and the representation and identification and diversity and all that stuff together. And like how we are talking about them, not necessarily how these games are being produced or how they're being consumed, but how they're being talked about as well. And like our, our role in all of that, especially since all of us here, are those people, are those mm-hmm. those scholars trying to think about these games critically? And I think that was like one of the most helpful things for me with your book was the fact that you address how, that, that the fact that we should be talking about games a little bit differently and talking about representation, mm-hmm. and therefore not just representation in games, but representation across media forms differently. And so I was wondering if you could maybe speak to that a little bit as well. Like, do you have any advice for us how <laughs> we as scholars should be thinking about and talking about representation? Like, what can we be doing to to make this conversation better?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that there are a few, like, there are a few different ways of good to go about it, right? One is, I think the the main thing is sort of, <clears throat> embracing intersectionality in media diversity studies in the first place, right? When when I have students come into my media classes, especially my LGBT representation classes, the ones who have any background in gender studies come in adamant that representing women is sexualized automatically bad. And it takes a really long time to unteach that, right? And I understand where it comes from. Like a lot of sexualized representations of women are objectifying and bad, but It becomes this really hard dichotomy. This is good representation. This is bad representation. If you represent somebody who is African-American, who grew up in a city speaking in a particular way, that's bad representation. As opposed to, no, you know, there are actually people who speak that way. They're not bad for speaking that way, but you're representing a very narrow viewpoint of, their lives if you're always representing them as thugs who then the police catch and all the cops in the show are white and then they go to jail and that's the end of the story. right? Mm-hmm. That's that's problematic representation. Mm-hmm. So I think part of it is getting away from good-bad, getting away from yeah. treating representation as this sort of check-plus, check-minus grading assignment. Like, that's a good show, that's a bad show. Mm-hmm. All shows are problematic. All And related to that, teaching people that... Just because you critique something doesn't mean you can't love it, and I have said you know, I say this to my students on a regular basis yeah. that there's no point in critiquing something if you don't love it,
1: mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm.
2: When I grade them hard it's because I want them to do better, not because I hate them. Mm-hmm. When I critique a TV show or when I critique video games, it's because I would like them to be better. Because mm-hmm. if I if I hated them, I just wouldn't play them, right? Like mm-hmm. I love them, I enjoy playing them. That's my that's my pastime, even if. It's not my culture, to get back to the gamer identity stuff, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I can, I, even my favorite games I can critique because I, once you are in that critical mindset, that's your critical mindset. Um, the, I think the, the thing that is hardest to do, that um, there are two things that are really hard to do, that I don't, I'm going to say them, I don't know how you do them yet, One is to stop being defensive about representation in the first place, right? Stop Mm -hmm. arguing for why representation matters so badly because nobody has ever made a good case for why it doesn't, right? Mm -hmm. Like, just embrace it. It matters. And we just start from there. Say, we know this thing matters. How can we understand how it matters in a different way to make Mm -hmm. it – to make representation that speaks to more people, to make representation that doesn't put people in boxes, Mm -hmm. to talk about representation beyond marketing categories in the first place, right? Mm -hmm. So much 1990s game studies research on gender is we want girls to play more games because games will get people into STEM, so you have to put more girls in, into video games so girls will play video games. And it's like, well, there's also a generation of girls right there who are playing video games, so apparently that wasn't the only thing, right? Like, there are other things that prevent people from getting into STEM, and girls aren't one category. Like, the things that will speak to one group of girls won't speak to another group of girls, and so we can't use that as the... Um, Always going back to you're missing out on this demographic. I think that that language really hurts us mm-hmm. because it treats the people that treats representation as just a marketing trick, and not something that all games should have to deal with in the first place. And the other is, um, I said it at a, at a keynote at a, the Montreal History of Gender and Games conference, and it went over better than I thought it would because I thought everybody was going to be pissed off at me, <laughs> um, and it was that. I think we don't have to care so much how to tell the industry how to do its job better, right? Because mm-hmm. on a regular basis, when I do book talks or talks about my work in general, people are like, "Well, what what should what would you tell the industry to do?" And I'm like, "I won't tell the industry to do anything. One, because there have been three decades worth of researchers telling them that they're not doing representation right, and they don't seem to really care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and second, because I want that you know, I want them to be better people." Like, that that's my answer to them. Be a better person. Like, think about people who are different from you as human beings in the first place. Like, that's not a best, I mean, I guess that is the best of best practices, but it's not like, it's not a design, it's not an action point, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I can, I'm going to be a better person today. Check, I win. Um, I get the little unicorn on Asana. Um, it's, you know, it's it's an approach and it's an approach I think um, Kishana and I have talked about this before it's an approach that starts with education in game design schools a lot of game design teachers and game designers I talk to when I talk to them about how they design games they say oh well we start with a mechanic what can you do in this game if how people are identifying with characters is about narrative then maybe we need to start with what stories you're telling in that game and then build the interaction into that afterwards Mm -hmm. Um, if the I don't know. If the starting point is how do we build all these levels and then the last thing you do is toss in characters, well, yeah, you're always going to toss in the white dude first and then you'll add the other options after if you still have enough money in your budget. Mm-hmm. Maybe we do the design work earlier on in the process and cut out some of the extra levels that nobody really cares about anyway cuz nobody finishes games. It's something like it's something like 50% of people are or 50 the majority of people only get 50% of the way through most games. Wow. So just, I mean, you know, right. not, I mean, I'm a, I'm a completionist. I have to get through the game, but like, <laughs> I hate games that suck at the end, but maybe still put more time into the end of the design process of creating mm-hmm. those characters. I was talking um, to someone who was, is an academic, also working on a design project with some students, and... All of them, critical scholars, feminists for the most part, and she asked them all to, you know, start making sketches of the first character for their game. They're going to have a variety of different avatar options, and every single person in the room started with the white guy. And she stopped them, and she's like, what are we doing? Everybody in the room, male, female, regardless, right? Right started drawing a male character first that tells us something about how we're socialized to approach the design process that mm-hmm. that's a that's a point to break it up in the first place um, and I think if people in game studies want to speak to industry that has to be the point at which we interject ourselves right is the process
0: mm-hmm.
2: yeah. like what can you do in the process of making these games to make them better not just criti- not just you know, fixing it after the whole thing's done. Yeah.
0: It's kind of interesting because, I mean, what you say is very true, and in and, and my own experience, it's been kind of mind-blowing to the design students to get them to even consider the fact that mechanics are a part of a game's narrative as well.
1: Yes, So absolutely. that you, you know,
0: throw it in at the end, is this something that you've got to start talking about, thinking about, and planning from the very beginning? Yeah. And they're like, Huh? Um, and then you you show them games that start to do this, that are starting to do this well. And a lot of them honestly are still a lot of the smaller indie titles. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're just kind of mind blown when they have to think about it in that way, because they are so used to doing things the same way that they've been done for 30 plus years at this point.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat>
2: I mean, and the more games people get used to playing, the more games that they have access to in the first place. Like, one of the things that nobody really talks about, I mean, I know designers talk about it within their own circles, but, like, distribution platforms are crucial to getting people used to playing different kinds of games. Like, if it become, if it's harder to get your game on a console than it is up on, you know, Steam or something, then you're missing out on everybody who plays console games. Like you know, Kashana and I play mostly console games, mm-hmm. so it takes a little extra effort to get us to play, I mean I, you know, made the extra effort to play some of the indie games but when I'm on my computer I'm working on my computer, <laughs> right? Like, right. I like console games, but there's a lot fewer interesting new nifty weird titles on consoles I mean, it's in- it's changing, it has dramatically changed in the past five years um, but it's still, it's, you know access to the marketplace is one of the things that people really need to uh, work on. Because there are tons of indie designers out there who are making tons of really interesting, cool little games, yeah. but nobody has any way to hear about them or interact with them in the first place.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> All right, Kashani, you had a question or two? Yeah, I... Um I again, like I said, I've been stalking Adrian. I mean, knowing you know Adrian,
1: <laughs> her work, you know, for like a
0: really long time. <laughs> and I, one of the features that she has on her website is uh, her comics. Um, I don't know how old they are. They've been there. I feel like they've been there for at least three or four years because I remember using the comic as um, in the classroom. Like I thought it was like a. Which an- one did you use? The theory for Foucault?
2: Oh yeah.
0: I use yeah I use it. It was like awesome and like it resonated um, with the students. They did Mm -hmm. their own comic to kind of present like their own the the theory that they were assigned and like it was cool. Of course, the people who couldn't really draw that well were like, well I can't draw. Like look at Adrian Shaw's, you know.
1: (laughs) Her comics are crap too.
2: No, it's totally fair. It's accurate. Um,
0: (laughs) But I love them, though. So first, I like that, because that just just seems like... I mean, it's not a weird thing, because there's a lot of links and a lot of parallels in comics and video games. But how did you get into that? And what are you doing with, like, your comics now?
2: Oh, well, (laughs) funny story. So the Man comic was actually my junior year of college. That was my final project for my feminist and queer theory class. Because I took it with Karen Brad, who's a badass feminist science and technology studies scholar. She's terrifying, Um, (laughs) but uh, amazing. But there are eight of us in that class, and, like, the way she designed that class was basically, like, each week we'd read something, and then as a group we'd decide what we needed to read next. And so mostly we worked backwards. Like, we started with gender trouble, and then, like, oh, she talks about this person, then we go read that person. So we went sort of back in time um, through gen- gender and queer theory, but she was like, for the end of the project because it was so discussion based and so intense, she's like, I want you to make something instead of doing a paper. And so I was into comics. I like drawing little comics, so I was like, I'm gonna make a comic version of um, uh, Susan Bordeaux's take on on Foucault um, for you know. So I, th- I think it's like something like a four page comic. I drew it up lunch tables in my college, um, and then like pasted it onto paper and made copies of it. Um, somebody else did an interpretive dance, somebody else did collage, somebody did some video, it was awesome, um, which is one of the, one of the reasons I do make my students do creative projects. Um, so every semester they have to do a final paper and then they have to do a creative representation of their thesis on top of that because I think it helps them synthesize what they're talking about. Um. But I also, when I was in college, what I studied was comics. I mean, I would have done a senior thesis if I could have find, found an advisor. I did, there was just nobody on campus who could, who uh, was free to be my advisor, but I multiple projects on, like, the history of comics, uh, Dyke Comics specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, I graduated. I had no intention of going to graduate school. Um, <laughs> that didn't work out. <laughs> I was done with school. Um <laughs> look at me now um, <laughs> and I like and I went and I moved to Vermont and got a job in a grocery store and worked for a year and was like wow working sucks um <laughs> <laughs> working in a shitty job market where you're being paid like minimum wage sucks
1: mm-hmm.
2: um and so especially with a liberal arts degree worth of student loans. Yeah. Um, And so I applied to grad... Like, at the same time, my friends were really into video games, so get home from the grocery store, can't move, because I've been on my feet for eight hours, eight, ten hours in most cases. So my friend and I would play video games, because that's the most we could do. So when I wrote my Statement of Purpose for grad school, it was half comics, because that was what I had studied, and half video games, because that was what I was doing, and I wanted to sound smart. And, like, I was doing something, not just sitting on my pl- couch playing video games and <laughs> working a crappy job. Um <laughs> And then when I got to grad school, I was all excited to study comics, but um, somebody, I won't say who, told me that they were really more interested in the fact that I was said I would do video games. So I was kind of forced to focus on that instead, mm-hmm. um, instead of doing comics. And I don't, you know, in the end, it worked out very well for me to study video games.
1: <laughs> um,
2: and, like, you know, I'm... I'm happy I made that choice, especially because comics had been in media studies, and now it's kind of shunted off into English for the most part. Um, And I prefer just doing that for fun. Um, I at least have one thing I can do for fun. Um, But I, like, I don't know. I think in comics, like, when I make PowerPoint presentations, I do pictures and words at the same time. I can't... I can't do a talk without PowerPoint, not because I need the PowerPoint to pace me so much as I need illustrations to go with what I'm saying.
3: Yeah. Um,
2: and like I draw comics to help explain stuff. So some of the comics on my website are things I drew for fun. Some are the ones I drew for teaching. So there's one about, um, Althusser and there's one about, um, the various like highbrow and lowbrow and middlebrow, um, that I just drew to help explain to my students what I was talking about. Um, and then I've made a couple that were poster presentations for various conferences where you have to put stuff up on a board on a wall, and it has to be super visual. And I was like, well, I might as well make a comic. That sounds more fun. Um, I mostly just draw cute cartoons for my wife now,
3: though. How <laughs> sweet <laughs> 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 Now we want to see all those.
2: <laughs> well, I can go I can go around and get some. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> they're up here somewhere. Oh, actually, no, uh I have one.
1: I'll be right- <laughs> Oh yay! <laughs>
3: <laughs> I have one. Those of you who are actually yes. listening and watching live.
2: Yes. Um let's see if it's that those are three Aww. characters we created when we were first dating,
1: uh, and
2: a made-up last name, Dr. Suffix, because we're nerds. Um, I we love also have a dog you. named we, we a after, after that <laughs> I love it. That's
1: awesome. Some idea. Yeah.
0: And I'm, I'm just, like, I guess I'm just, like, fascinated with you, because you do, you do all kinds of stuff, you know, like you do producing and directing the videos, you know, comics, you know, video games. Um, you do very, very, very cool stuff. Um so I just wanted to make sure that we shouted that out because I don't I think most people don't realize that. I remember we were talking um up at um D B M K, you know, diversifying mm-hmm. Barbie and the Mortal Com- Mortal Kombat um kind of thing. We were talking about like your comics and I kept telling people, I was like, yo, I've incorporated this, you know, I have awesome pedagogy now. I have a good- <laughs> <laughs> I put comics <comments> in here, gearing <laughs> up for my year three review. So you know, I had um, so I just I just wanted to make sure to give a shout out for that.
2: Another, I don't want Also, I'll actually, that reminds me. Remind me later. I will send you. Um, I have a comic that is a paper writing model, which is like a anatomical representation of how to structure of paper that my friend and I created in grad school.
3: Oh um. uh, yeah, everybody here wants that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> okay. Actually, I can add it up to my website, and I'll share a link. Um. Hell
0: yeah! I, I don't want to share her. <laughs> <laughs> Look,
3: we will fight, and we're both really badass. So we'll just both lose. So we should just agree to be cool about it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. One other thing I did want to say
0: because I've I've noticed that um the whole the APA has once again said you know video games causes violence and stuff mm. and I thought that was like just hashed out years ago that in fact it didn't why do you think why does this keep coming around I feel like it's like like on a, like a, a five five to ten year cycle now that every now mm-hmm. and again we'll hear you know this 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 rhetoric you know this narrative of like video games and aggression and, and violence mm-hmm. why. Or, or maybe it's linked to an election cycle, too. I mean, I don't know. Maybe we can get that. But why is that? Why Why do you think that, like, games gets this, like, bad rap? You know, why can't we refocus?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is it's, you know, I mean, it's not just games. It's just games are easier to run a study on, right? I mean, there, there are decades of studies on TV doing the same thing of, I don't know, I'm pretty sure people have done studies on music doing the same thing, but much, much less of it. Um, You hear less stories about it. I think video games make headlines faster is why we see it. Not because there's more research on video games, violence, and anything else. I think we just hear more about it because it's a catchier headline, and a TV news station doesn't want to say TV causes violence. Um, Especially given the decades of cultural studies research which showed that news representation of violence actually has a much bigger media effect than violent movie watching, right? Because it makes people think the world is a big, awful place and everybody's out to get them. Mm -hmm. Um, Which, if you watch local television news, that is the story, right? Like I would never go outside it if I watched news in Philadelphia. Um, <laughs> between the weather reports and the crime reports, like it's an apocalypse every single day. <laughs> um, and it's not I think a bad that's, city.
3: <laughs> that's interesting though, because there used to I remember when I was young, this is revealing my age, uh there used to be a lot of reports about music. I was gonna say violence. remember the connection between
2: Columbine
3: yeah. and Marilyn Manson? Yeah. yeah,
2: absolutely. And I think part as, of it was... But as games
3: became bigger, it went less. I'm sorry, go ahead.
2: No, I mean, I think part of it is smiling. there was a study that... Uh, <laughs> that's probably not true. Um, that's totally true. <laughs> there, uh, there's a study by... Um, oh, what's his name? I think it's Craig Anderson. Not Craig Anderson. Um, there's a study that came out. It was posted on Elsevier earlier today where a guy, I believe it was Craig Anderson, did a study on um, people's beliefs about media violence and the effect that has on their research. So, like, if you look at the history of, of violent video game research, for example, people who do that research who are older tend to find that video games cause violence. People who do that research who are younger tend to find that they does that. Video games don't cause violence, right? And part of that is confirmation bias. Part of that is that social science isn't real science, right? Like, I mean, in the (laughs) sense that you can... The design of the study says everything about what you're going to find in that study, and um, the history of social science is built on assumptions about the social world following natural laws, which just isn't true, right? Like, the world does not work that... Does not... I mean... Most statistical tests are actually based on astrophysics, for example, assuming that the patterns we can see in the stars would be reflected in how human beings organize themselves. Mm-hmm. If you if you think about that, that's really fucked up. Like the way we understand how we organize human beings in the world is based on assumptions about things we can't even physically measure because they're so far away. Mm-hmm. Um, but the you know video games. Are, th- are relatively new so people who are younger tend to have have more experience with them so they tend to think they're not quite as awful um, and people who are older and I'm, I'm only looking over because I'm still trying to find that original study um, that uh, part of why we keep seeing it is just because the people producing that research grew up not like not playing video games Um mm. The other part of it is that, it, you know, it may, video games are still represented as this weird, inaccessible thing to most people. They're mm-hmm. represented as this niche subculture mm-hmm. that nobody understands. And if you watch a video game and you haven't played it, they're kind of fucked up in some cases, right? They, There's really racist language. There's lots of killing. There's lots of violence. Once you start playing them... That goes away and you don't care as much. But the same is true of violent movies, right? Once you get into a violent movie, that sort of goes away and you don't care as much. Um, It's not because video games are worse or better than other media, it's just because people have more experience with the other media, so they're not treating it as special, I guess, is part of it. Desensitization.
0: (laughs) desensitization. I
3: have I have three brief responses to that. Um, the fourth being that that was a great answer. But the first um, is that doesn't that make it actually better if fewer people are identifying as quote-unquote gamers and games are spreading to a wider audience because you have more people who are involved in saying, no, 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 it's fine. It's mm-hmm. just a thing, like a movie or a TV show. That should be better. And maybe the gatekeeper should like chill the fuck out just a little bit.
2: Yes. Um, no, absolutely. And I, I, finally found his name. It's Christopher Ferguson. Craig Anderson is the one who does a lot of violence media studies. So it was a really yeah. bad fail on my part. But it was Christopher Ferguson did that recent paper saying age influences whether or not you think games cause violence. Hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, in
3: my, yeah. I don't know. Just my second little thing is, is man. You know, I'm like queen feminist of feminist land. Uh, and I watch a ton of problematic, horrible, Mm -hmm. terrible movies, and shows, and just bad things. So Like, my husband and I are really into horror movies, and horror movies are like the bottom of the fucking barrel, (laughs) right? (laughs) Even if you have, like, the final girl who kicks everyone's ass, they're still terrible. But... You're right. There is a sort of disconnect there where you're like, "Well, I know this is awful." Um and also these horror movies, these action movies are all terrible, but fuck it, whatever, it's fun. Mm-hmm. And we have that 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 threshold that we identify in games to where it at, at to a certain point, we're cool with it. If it crosses mm-hmm. that point, we got to turn the game off, but up to that, we're fine because we mm-hmm. can we can break away from it. So here's the question, and this is where this is my third thing, and this is what I want to ask of you, which was not on the list, and I'm sorry. How do we tell people when we study these games that we're not trying to take away all their toys,
2: but we just <laughs> want to talk about this stuff because it's really fucking interesting? Yeah. 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 I mean, I think it's as. I mean, I think the you don't critique something if you don't love it is one way of doing it. I mean, if that were true, then the. I think some of the people doing violent game studies might secretly love them. <laughs> well, they're not really critiquing the games, right? They're making assumptions about how humans operate. And that mm. that's just how we're different, right? I believe in the ways human operate. I believe people's interactions with media are much more complex than an experimental setting really encapsulates. I think you can tell a lot of things with experiments, but trying to map it onto, like, large social things becomes really difficult because you can't control Mm -hmm. for everything. Um, And I think part of it is that the... I think aspects of games are bad. I don't think people who like them are bad is the way I explain it to people, right? Like, I don't think yeah. that my students are bad because they watch what I find to be really problematic sitcoms. I don't think the people who made... I see somebody typed Stonewall in the comments. I don't think the people who made the new Stonewall movie are bad people, but I think that they're lazy historians if mm-hmm. they're leaving out... Like, the the trans women of color who started that and they completely erased them from the movie, that's just lazy history at this point because everybody knows what they did, right? right. Um, yeah. I know, like college students come to me already knowing that part. It's great. Um, Whereas, like, five years ago, that was a revelation to them. Um, But I think that because video games have been treated as being so special, any critique of them becomes a critique of everybody who likes them. Um, And actually, Catherine Cross has written sort of uh, several beautiful things about this, right, is that if you grew up with all critiques of video games being about taking them away, then you act really violently when people start critiquing them because you think they're taking them away. Um, I think that if all the discussions we have about games are about legislation and about violence and about how do we control these things from brainwashing our children, then, yeah, every every other conversation we try to have is going to be part of that discourse as well. When I first started doing game industry research and trying to reach out to game designers to talk to me, I had to spend a lot of time convincing people that I was not, in fact, going to write a... a, a Scholarly article about how video games were violent and awful, mm-hmm. and it you know it affects the kind of research you can do. If people people in the industry think that that's all academics do, that's all they're going to see when they see game studies research. The number of people in the field. Uh, who do research that is much more nuanced than that versus the number of people in the industry who tell me, nobody studies these in more nuanced ways. I'm like, well, you don't read each other. You don't talk to each other. And part of that is because the public conversation has always been about questions of censorship and should we take these away and kids are becoming awful, right? Um, As opposed to, because those are much easier questions to answer than larger systemic violences. It's much easier to understand violence through um, as a media effect than it is to understand violence as a system of structural inequalities that helps to perpetuate and reinforce itself.
3: Mm-hmm. That was an
0: awesome answer.
3: Yeah. So, can I think can we just follow? make her
2: move here?
3: Can we just bring Avery here so she can live here.
2: <laughs> we can talk offline about that.
3: Okay.
1: <laughs> My well, body is
3: ready. <laughs> Once again,
0: <laughs> we were just talking about that earlier. Um, so, we've had you for a long time and, and uh, we don't want to keep you forever. Well, we do, but we won't. <laughs> um, just kind of as a wrap-up question, can you tell us, you mentioned it a little earlier, Mm -hmm. Um, can you tell us um, about the project that you're working on now? You mentioned it a little earlier when we were talking Mm -hmm. about what we're reading, Mm -hmm. Um, but it sounds really interesting.
2: Absolutely. Um, So my next book project is about queer game studies and sort of thinking about queerness in games in a really broad way. And one of the first projects I'm doing towards that is creating a Digital Archive in the cultural studies sense. So it's basically it's a website collecting all of the queer game content I can find in games dating back to the 1980s. Um, the earliest game I have is a 1986 game, I think. Um, and basically it's where uh, I had an RA last semester working on it. Now I have cajoled a few friends into helping me because all told from 1980 to 2015 we have a list of about 300 games um, and we're making a unique website for each gamer game series and then a unique website for uh, our web webpage Rather for each instance. So if that's a character, if it's a rep, if it's a uh, optional relationship option, if it's a NPC or um, some activity you have to do in the game. So there's a whole slew of games where you have to do cross re- co- cross dressing as mm-hmm. a mission of some sort. Um, and so we have been collecting all the games, trying to write up re- us little blurbs about what the content is, if their content actually is, one of the things I've discovered in diving back into the project the last two weeks is that a lot of the things on various lists wasn't really gay content. Um, so there's one game, It Came From the Desert, where a woman talks about she was driving with her girlfriend, um, and it's really clear if you look at uh, the it's, let's plays of the game that she means girlfriend and, like the straight girl I have a friend who is a girl sense, Mm -hmm. but it appears on like 50 different lists as a representation of a lesbian in a game. Um, And so a lot of the time is sort of devoted to digging out and figuring out like, was this intentional? Is this a gay reading of this character? Is this clearly this uh, queer character of some sort? Um, And part of the goal is to do sort of a quick and dirty proportional analysis. Like how many of these games are there what kind of content it is. Um, Most of the histories we have is of optional content or implicit content. I've actually found a lot more explicit uh, representation in games from the 80s and 90s than I expected. Um, And it's... I mean, part of it is it's just taking forever. So if anybody is interested in helping out and wants to take on a game, I have a list of about 100 games that haven't been started yet. So people can email me or get in touch on Twitter... I'm happy to get extra help. Um, And one, I mean, what I've also discovered in doing this is that when we when we scratch the surface of one game that had like I don't know Leisure Suit Larry, which is this series of games in which you're a straight dude trying to romance a lot of women, has an immense amount of queer content. I mean, a lot of it's homophobic and transphobic, Mm -hmm. um, including what I discovered and was tweeting about yesterday. The earliest representation of an explicitly trans woman I can find is from a 1989 Leisure Suit Larry game. She's a character named Chablis, who, unlike modern games, is actually voiced by a female voice actor. Um, and she and Larry go on a date, and then he discovers that she's not cisgendered and freaks out, and it's really awful. Um, But she's not on any of the lists of trans characters I found anywhere else. I just happened to find her because I found so much in later games in the series. I was like, that can't be the only representation. So I started going through deeper into the older games in the series. Um, Metal Gear Solid almost killed me today because, wow, do I not understand that series. Um, But it did lead me to buy (laughs) uh, Metal Gear Solid... Peace Walker, because uh, Love is really hot. Um, and I was like, how did I not know there was a game with a hot British lesbian scientist in it? So. <laughs> Part of, and the end result of this is it's going to be a publicly available resource. Um, every page is going to have a list of articles that talk about that character or that game, and every... Um, academic as well as just blog posts or anything else we can find. And mm-hmm. the goal is for it to be an ongoing resource where everybody can add to it. If people want to do a study of queer games, they can go there, find what queer games they want to. Um, just because I've been doing this research for about 10 years, and every time I want to do a queer games project, I feel like I'm starting over or trying to find a new list of games, and I just want to put it all in one place um, and actually see how much of this content is as explicit as people claim it is or um, how much of it is not even a queer reading. It's just a, a lot of straight guys thinking that effeminate men are all gay, Um, which is, Mm -hmm. and then a lot of it is things that are lost in the location, localization process, especially Japanese games coming to the U S in the eighties and nineties had a lot of queer content taken out of them.
0: Mm. That, you know, that, sounds amazing and it, it's interesting to hear you talk about this because it sounds like um, like most of us who do game studies and especially those of us who are who are in English departments mm-hmm. um, we find ourselves constantly struggling with trying to figure out how to do the work that we want to do in the medium that we want to do it
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, which is traditionally not a monograph <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah i mean we we need to we need to talk about that more one day you
3: and i um Me. Actually, i want to i want to i want to come cuz i've done died and gone to research heaven y'all i don't even know i'm left this earth i'm kind of podcasting from the grave
1: <laughs> oh
3: here lies Alicia. She wanted to research queer content in games. <laughs> <laughs> so here's and and here's a non-question, Adrian. Mm-hmm.
0: What haven't we asked you about that you want to talk about, or have we exhausted all of the possible topics under the sun, especially it?
2: You yeah. Know. Yeah. I mean, you didn't ask me any questions about gardening. But <laughs> <laughs>
3: Did know you were gardener? How, how is your garden?
2: Oh, is actually doing um, quite well now that we gave up trying to plant vegetables because <laughs> Philly squirrels will eat anything, um, um, and they will eat any plant that makes um, makes a fruit of some sort. They'll eat the entire plant, not just the fruit. Wow. Um, but now we have two giant mint bushes and quite a lot of basil, so things are good. <laughs>
0: did you know about Philly squirrels.
2: Philly, especially uh, West Philly squirrels. They, I mean, I, I tried everything to get them off the tomato plant plants, including cayenne pepper, which a lot of sites said guaranteed will work. And I they saw were like, ooh, uh,
0: they were like, ooh salsa. Exactly. They were like yeah, pizza work.
2: plant, pizza plant right here. <laughs> Delicious. Thanks. Can have add some salt later.
3: yeah it's
0: rough now we know about the gardening part (laughs) there you go
2: that's all that's everything I know in the world games, gardening and I don't know much about hockey except it's fun
0: I'm from Detroit so hockey's big there so I understand Uh, all right well again we have to say adrian thank you so much for joining us
2: oh Uh, thanks for having me
0: it's been a fucking blast talking to you um and you're welcome to come back anytime you want to (laughs) yes (laughs) like all the (laughs) time. anytime you just want to come back and talk about you know how your
3: project's going or your garden so we'll see you in two weeks (laughs) is what we're saying (laughs) same crew same time two weeks from now (laughs)
1: <laughs> <clears throat>
2: it's it, sabbatical. Uh, I don't qu- I don't commit to anything on air during sabbatical.
0: <laughs> that's very oh, that's important. Fair. <laughs> I guess. That is very important. Damn it.
2: <clears throat> but this is super fun, so I could totally be uh, talked into doing this again. Awesome. <laughs>
0: Yeah, like, you know, like I said, anytime you want to come back and talk about anything, just let us know. Especially your new project, which sounds absolutely fabulous. And I get the impression that you'll probably be hearing from Alicia off-air. Um. I already <laughs> tweeted. It's done. <laughs> fabulous. Back
3: up. I will fight all of y'all. But I think that there's enough work to go around. So it's cool. <laughs>
0: <clears throat> all right. On that note, folks, I guess that brings us to the end of episode 109, which was a blast. I feel like I've been, I've, I've been trying to be in the good and mute myself since I've been sniffling and sneezing for the last two hours. <clears throat> um, and so, until episode 110, has it really been that many episodes. <clears throat> um, you can, you know, folks can contact us in all the normal ways um at our of course NYM gamer website which is nymgamer.com um on facebook just look for nymom's gamer on twitter where you will usually find Alicia and or I talking over one another uh at at nymgamer um and if those things aren't your thing there's always tumblr at nymgamer.tumblr.com i think that's all the things or you can just send us an email <clears throat> and we uh welcome questions comments suggestions as long as they're respectful and don't involve telling us to do foul things to ourselves alright <laughs> should yeah. be a
2: standard rule yes
0: Yeah, that, that should be a standard rule <clears throat> we need to post that somewhere <clears throat> so until next time when we have episode 110 to talk about all the other kinds of fun stuff on the, in the gaming universe <clears throat> excuse me stay cool Stay dry, and as always, my friends, game on. Game on.
2: <laughs> game on. Game on.
1: Game on.